0: All right, go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Our Advent series this year uh, has the theme of waiting, which makes a lot of sense because the word Advent means arrival. And I don't know that you can often separate the idea of an arrival from someone, some people, some group waiting for that arrival. And in our case, Advent refers both to the first arrival of Jesus 2,000 years ago or so that we're celebrating in, in Christmas. It also refers to the second arrival that is still yet to come, the second coming of Jesus. And the tradition of Advent throughout 2,000 years of church history is the both. It's still looking back and celebrating and it's still looking forward and hoping and expecting. And in this series on waiting, we've been reminded that we're not very good at waiting. I know I'm not very good at waiting. Last week, we talked about the story of Mary and reminded ourselves that there's really only one way to wait and that's with open hands, like Mary, to, to release our desire to control, to release our expectations, because that's the gift of waiting. The gift of waiting is that it forces us to loosen our grip on life. We can't control what's coming. We're waiting to see. We're waiting for something to arrive. This week, we're going to hear a story about Simeon, a very interesting man, Uh, that we just get a glimpse of here in our passage. And we're gonna learn a lesson from Simeon about waiting that relates to our expectations. I had a lot of expectations in Christmases when I was growing up and most kids do. You ask for something under the tree and ask mom or dad or Santa, and you you expect that that thing's gonna be under the tree. At least you hope that it will. And I remember the the, uh, fall of 1983 leading up to Christmas, there was one thing that my brother and I really wanted. I was eight years old. My brother Brian was six years old. And the thing we wanted that year was the Road Power 6336 Commander Tank. Let me show you a picture of this beauty. Go ahead and put that on the screen. I scoured the internet and found it. It was marked as vintage, and this is it. 1983 vintage 663 Commander tank. Now, look at the detail of that. I mean, it almost looks like that little shovel on the side could just come right off of the tank. This was a tank that was built for an eight-year-old boy. And the best thing about it was it was remote-controlled think about the possibilities to shoot those little darts, sneak into a room when no one's expecting it. Brian and I had two older sisters whom we loved to terrorize. In fact, we called ourselves, Brian and I did, the Dirty Duo. <laughs> and we would spy and we would pull all kinds of shenanigans and we saw commercials for this tank and we thought, think about how fun it's going to be to remote control this from another room and navigate in. And the best, you know, the the, the greatest thing is you could actually fire the, the, the dart with the remote control. And we were so excited. Christmas morning came. We saw a package under the tree that was wrapped in the appropriate shaped box. We opened up the package and sure enough, there it was in all its glory. We took it out of the box. It was the first present that year that we, you know, took out of all the packaging. Back then it wasn't as hard to do it as it is today. But anyway, we took it out and and this is what we saw. Yeah, I heard a little moan. Now, what's wrong with this picture? It's got a cord. Like all, all all the remote control enthusiasts in the room are like, oh, that's no good. It has a cord. The problem was not only did it have a cord, but the cord was like two feet long. How are you supposed to sneak into your sister's room with a tank if it's just two feet long? Not only that, but we we put batteries in it, we, we, we hit the, the start button and it would just go. <laughs> and then worst of all, we hit that red fire button and the dart didn't so much as you know project out of the turret as it just sort of fell out of the turret. <laughs> it wasn't a boom, it was a bloop. <laughs> And within the course of about five minutes, our greatest expectations for this gift turned into deep disappointment. And I thought about that and I was like, that, that experience taught me a powerful lesson. Expectations are everything. And that little story has repeated in my life over and over and over. And it's repeated in your life too because we have this tendency as human beings to put our hopes, to put our expectations in something that's gonna be incredible. It's gonna be wonderful. It's gonna change our life And then the reality comes and it never does. The story of Simeon has a lot to teach us about expectations. And by way of introducing Simeon to you, let me remind you, his story is is inextricably connected to Mary's story. All that we know about Simeon is in the passage we're going to read this morning. And we know it because Mary shared it with Luke, the historian, who wrote it down. Everything we know about Simeon comes from this one passage. Now, Mary and Simeon, on the one hand, could hardly have been more different from one another. Simeon near the end of his life, Mary near the beginning of hers, Simeon from Jerusalem, the capital city, Mary from Nazareth, the obscure village. But they had one thing in common. They both were waiting on Jesus. Mary's waiting from the time the angel announced until the birth, Simeon's waiting for even longer. Let's get to know his story, beginning in Luke 2, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. This text always fascinated me. I've never had a chance to teach it until this weekend, but I've always thought, what an interesting man. What an interesting story. Many have assumed Simeon was a priest. The text actually doesn't say that. So don't necessarily picture him as a priest. All it says here is he was a man. We know a few things about Simeon. We know he was righteous. We know he was devout. And we know he was waiting what was Simeon waiting for? Number one, he was waiting for, quote, the consolation of Israel. That's an unusual word. It just means the comfort of Israel. And, and it was a word that probably refers to, to Isaiah's prophecy, comfort, comfort, my people. When and God was promising to deliver them from all their oppression, from, from being separated from the land, from, from being ruled over by all these different empires, as, as Lloyd reminded us a few weeks ago in that lesson. And the consolation of Israel was the coming of Messiah to set wrong things right. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Simeon was also waiting for his own death. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I... I think that's kind of weird. If you think about it as a real person, I think that's kind of weird. I've had people come to me different times in life and say, you know, God told me something and then they'll say something very dramatic like this. Like, you know, I'm not gonna die before blah, blah, blah. And to be honest with you, there's like a little bit of like, really? You know, there's some skepticism in my heart. We know this was an actual word from God because it came true. And it's here in our scripture presented as, the true account of, of Simeon. But I have to imagine at, you know, dinner parties, Simeon might not have been that much fun to be around. He's like that guy that said, you know, have you have you heard what God told me? Yes, Simeon, you've told us 12 times. We know you're not gonna die. I imagine at family gathering, someone asking, Simeon, how's your health? Well, I don't have to worry about being, you know, healthy because God told me, you know, I'm not gonna die before I see the Lord's Christ. But but it, it almost sets it up in the text that this man was Waiting to die. In other words, not not morbidly, he was ready. There was just one more thing that had to happen. God needed to keep his promise. God had promised, Simeon would say. And we don't know how old Simeon was. Tradition holds that he was very old. Maybe maybe a a hundred years or approaching a hundred years. A very old man, according to tradition. The text doesn't tell us how old. We just know this man's ready to die as soon as the promise comes of God is fulfilled. Maybe here's the most important thing to know about Simeon, that whatever happened in all his years before this, a lifetime of hopes and dreams, of setbacks and suffering, whatever happened in all his years before, his life at the end became a life of waiting on the Lord. and for glory to your people, Israel. There's a lot here to unpack. I wanna start with the very first phrase. He came in the spirit to the temple. All that means is the Holy Spirit was leading him. It was no accident that Simeon went to the temple on that day. We don't know how God talked to him. We just know that God communicated. Maybe he woke up that morning and he just sensed the spirit saying, go to the temple because today's the day. Simeon was being led by the Spirit. It's important to know that because how else would he recognize Messiah as a a poor baby? It wasn't unusual for young couples and babies to show up at the temple because there were purification rites and there were dedication rites according to the law of Moses. By the way, that's exactly what Mary and Joseph were doing. 40 days after the birth of a child, the mother would be ceremonially purified. And that was part of the process, uh, Mary's purification. Second of all, the firstborn child in a devout Jewish family would be dedicated to the Lord. I've always thought that was interesting that Jesus, Mary and Joseph's firstborn son, in, in a broader sense, God's first, you know, only son, was dedicated to the work of the Lord. God himself, in a way, dedicated to obeying the Father, to serving the Lord. It's interesting to me that it was God's law that led Mary and Joseph to the temple that day. It was God's spirit that led Simeon to the temple that day. God brought them all there at the same time for a divine appointment. I love what Simeon did when he saw Jesus. It says he took him up in his arms and blessed God. When I first read this text to study for this message, that was the line that jumped out to me. You know, I I, I couldn't even almost hear the rest of the prophecy that came after because I just thought, what would that be like to hold Jesus? You know, for for this man just to to see his savior and like a magnet, just want to embrace him. He took him up in his arms and he blessed God. I can just imagine the tears this is the fulfillment of all this man's expectation. He said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. God had kept his word to Simeon and imagine after a lifetime of waiting, or we don't know how many years he'd been waiting. God had told him something and he was believing it. But after all this waiting, Simeon had finally found peace. If you think about it, Simeon was the very first person to go to his death having recognized Jesus of Nazareth as his savior. I think that kind of makes him the first Christian. And as, as, you, as I thought about this week, I thought he was the first person to know the peace that comes with knowing that his spiritual need had been met by Jesus of Nazareth. To know that he could rest spiritually, emotionally, literally rest and go into his grave at peace. And this is the promise ultimately for every Christian. Faith that God will fulfill his promises through Jesus Christ is what gives us peace as we've already been hearing about this morning and singing about this morning. Simeon goes on in verse 30. He says, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Just a brief comment. One of the most remarkable things about this passage is Simeon goes first to a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon was a devout Jew. Jews tended to think of Messiah as really for them. And maybe they would have some peripheral positive impact on Gentiles, but it was a Jewish Messiah, a Jewish king. Yes, the whole world would be blessed, but it's really about God fulfilling his promise to his chosen people. Simeon inverts that a little bit and he first talks about light for revelation to Gentiles. That's most of us in this room. Simeon's prophetic words have come true. There are far more Gentile believers around the world today than Jewish believers. And for all of us who are Gentile believers, the reason that we have come to know the one true God is because Jesus Christ came to reveal him to us. Jesus is a light of revelation to us, the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. What Simeon understood was the the biggest glory about being from Israel was that God used the Hebrew people as the people group from which Jesus would come. That's the glory of Israel. That's the glory of the chosen people. So it's both. It's light of revelation to the Gentiles. It's glory to your people of Israel. Jesus represents both. And then we'll read the last few verses and spend some time un- unpacking what all this means for us. Verse 33, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. If you imagine the scene prior to verse 33, bright, joyful, sweet, Imagine this part as a shadow falling over the scene of Simeon holding Jesus. Simeon, in in the prophecy that's kind of coming out of him, is saying salvation will not come easy. We talked last week about the specific message he has for marriage. just Looking right at her, I just imagine him with sort of a gentle finger, just, just holding up, saying a sword will... Pierce through your own soul. But there's more than that in, in his message. He's saying salvation will not be easy, just not for Mary. And it won't be easy for Jesus, of course, but it won't be easy for anyone. Simeon says that Jesus is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and a sign that will be opposed. This is language of revolution. So you might be thinking, well, I thought Jesus came to, be, to bring peace. Yes, he did. But Simeon is saying there's going to be a lot of division that Jesus is going to bring. There's going to be a lot of opposition to Jesus. Here's a truth we don't talk about much at Christmas, that Jesus' presence and message have always been divisive. The presence of Jesus on the earth as God himself coming into his creation, the, the message of Jesus was and is polarizing. It divides people because the claims of Jesus are so big. He, he's God come to earth. He's the king of kings. Think about this. Any lesser king is gonna be opposed to somebody coming in saying there's the true king. And isn't that true of all of us in our hearts trying to be our own little kings? It's not easy to bow the knee. And so Jesus, let's not forget this, brings peace, but he brings peace through a sword, in a sense. He, he brings peace, if, if, you, if you'll follow this, through division. Division inside of you and me, even those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, because the, the claim of Jesus is essentially, I own you. Now, we don't like hearing that and makes us want to fight. Nobody owns me. But if Jesus is God... Like if he's the ruler and controller of everything, if he's the one that demonstrated power over the storm, then certainly the demand on all of our lives is to submit to him. That's hard. That causes a fight. Not just division between people out there, division right in here. Think about it this way. If someone came into your life and claimed ownership over you, That claim would demand a response. There's only two responses. Either fierce resistance or total surrender. There could be no in between. You're either gonna fight that person who's trying to rule your life or you're gonna surrender to that person who's trying to rule your life. I think this is what Simeon was anticipating. He talked about the sign that would be opposed. He talked about the thoughts from many hearts being revealed. You can't be neutral on Jesus. And this is something that we struggle with big time in our culture. And I don't just mean the culture outside the walls of this church. I mean us, those of us that claim to follow Jesus, those of us that claim to follow Christ and be Christians. We want to honor and worship Jesus with one side of us. And if we're honest, there's another side of us that wants to just keep Jesus at arm's length so that we can control our own stories. So we don't have to submit everything. It's like, I'll submit these things to you, but there's, there's some things I don't trust you with, God. What Simeon is saying is ultimately, your very life will rise or fall according to your response to the claims of Jesus. And, and, and part of that claim of Jesus is his claim, over you as your master, as your king, as your Lord. That's true for every human. And so this is why it's wonderfully mind-bending that God chose to come to earth as a baby. That his initial entrance into the earth was a weakling. Because he could have come as the mighty cosmic power over the cosmos and and showed up in a way and, and made earthquakes that would just shake the earth until we would all relent and repent and say, I get it, you're God, I'll let go. He could have come in all kinds of ways with power. Instead, he came as an unassuming, weak and poor, powerless, unintimidating baby. He came with an invitation not a demand. That doesn't change the fact that he's king of kings, lord of lords. It doesn't change the fact that ultimately everybody's got to decide if they're going to bend the knee or not. But he didn't come demanding that. I was thinking about this this week and I thought, you know, babies generate interesting responses from people. There's really three types of people in the world. (laughs) There, there are people who basically ignore babies. And, you know, I think what's going on there, you know, um, uh, babies are irrelevant to them because babies just can't interact very well yet. And, and babies can't contribute to the world at all. So, you know, what's the relevance? Now, hopefully you don't feel that way if it's your own baby. But, you know, if you're out and about, you know, you're in a store or you're at a restaurant and there's a baby nearby. Some people just, they just kind of ignore them because they're irrelevant. Other people, when they see babies, they actually move away in a different direction because babies are inconvenient. You know, babies are loud. Babies are messy. Uh, I've I've been on airplanes a couple times in the last week. And, you know, and you you have an empty seat or two next to you and you see somebody coming down the aisle carrying a baby. What are you hoping? I hope they don't have that this seat. You know, I'm sorry. Am I, am I bad to say that out loud? <laughs> I hope they don't have this seat because babies are inconvenient. So some basically ignore babies because they're irrelevant. Some move away from babies. They're inconvenient. But a lot of people are drawn to babies because babies are cute. <laughs> and, and and those of you that are giggling right now, that's probably you. And you, you go into what I call goo-goo mode when you see a baby. And you just, utter incoherent babbling and, you know, make a fool of yourself in in the best possible way. It's so silly. And I was thinking about that this week and I thought it's interesting the same response is given to puppies and kittens and babies. (laughs) Simeon did not do any of those three responses when he saw Jesus. He saw him He recognized him. He moved toward him, but he didn't goo goo. He took him seriously. He he took him in his arms and he blessed God. And he said some very sobering, powerful things about this baby. It made me wonder, where are you in this story? Do you recognize him? Do you move toward him? Do you take him seriously? Do you embrace him? Let's pull all this together and get to a lesson about waiting. Simeon's life story was strange but powerful. Unlike many of us, Simeon's best moments were at the end of his life. His glory day, his glory moments were right near the end. In Simeon's older years, he became completely single-minded. He waited for God's promise to be fulfilled. He single-mindedly looked for Jesus. Another way to think about it When we meet Simeon, we find a man who had emptied his life of all expectations except for one. And this one expectation was that if he kept his eyes open, he would one day find himself in the presence of his Savior. He waited his whole life for that moment. He found that in the most unexpected way, in the most unexpected person, humanly speaking. And because Simeon had no other expectations except for this one, he wasn't concerned about the fact that Jesus didn't look the way that he thought Jesus might look or arrive in the way that he thought Jesus might arrive. He just took him in his arms for who he was and blessed God. And it occurred to me in that moment with with Simeon blessing God, praising God, worshiping God with tears in his eyes, none of the circumstances had changed yet. It's not as if Simeon got to see the salvation that Jesus would bring, you know, toppling the Romans, which was his expectation, all those kinds of things, and and then worshiped God. It's just he knew it. He saw it. He believed. He knew it. Rome was still in power. Israel was not free. But none of that mattered in that moment because Simeon recognized there's nothing greater than the presence of Jesus himself. Here's our lesson from Simeon about waiting. The faithfulness of God will never let us down if we place our expectation in the person of Jesus, not the circumstances of life. And I believe that is true. And it takes faith to believe that. The faithfulness of God will never let us down if we place our expectation in the person of Jesus, not the circumstances of life. And so here's what that means for us, kind of how will we apply this and live it out. I'd say this, and this is pretty bold. What we would do to model Simeon's example would be to let go of every expectation in your life except for one, that you will find Jesus if you look for him. And for some of you, I think that means finding Jesus the first time and for others of you it's it's seeing him more fully more comforting for you or or maybe it's recognizing his authority over you his kingship over you let go of every other expectation in your life because they're bound to disappoint you your relationships your accumulated goods your money your families your jobs It's all going to go away. At some point in time, it's going to disappoint. Humanly speaking, on this earth, it's going to disappoint. There's one thing you can put your trust in. You will see Jesus. Keep your eyes open. Expect that you will find him probably when you least expect it in the chaos and rubble of disappointed expectations of things in your life that did not go according to plan, of suffering and brokenheartedness and longing. Expect to find him there. Expect to find him also in small moments of joy when everything else in your life and, and in, even in this Christmas season this week sort of just fades to the background, all the busyness, all the people, everything else, and you're able just to focus your gaze on Jesus. Expect to find him there. Expect to find Jesus when you live your life in expectation of his presence. When you open your hands like Mary did. When you release your expectations. When you hold on only to one thing. I will see Jesus. I will find him because he will find me. Famous painter Rembrandt must have loved this story about Simeon because he painted Simeon at least twice, two paintings at least that we know of. I'm gonna to read to you a short article I found written by Russ Ramsey, a, a pastor, uh, Russ Ramey rather, as he thought about and contemplated the differences between the two paintings of Simeon that Rembrandt created. The first, painted when Rembrandt was 25 years old, is crisp, ornate scene with the temple itself presented as a character in the story. Rembrandt's characteristic illumination shines like a spotlight coming down from heaven, making Jesus the brightest figure in the scene. Simeon holds the child as he gazes up to heaven. Another attendant in the temple looks on, hands raised in praise. Nearly two dozen other figures line the background looking on. Here, young Rembrandt shows what he's capable of. Your eye could spend an hour touring the canvas and you still wouldn't see all that's there. The second, painted 38 years later in 1669, the year of Rembrandt's death, is very different. Gone are the crowds looking on. Gone are the columns and filigree in architecture. Gone is the brilliant beam of light. The crisp brushwork of a steady young hand had given way to the shaky, mottled impressions of the old master's touch. All the painter gives us is a picture of an old man at the end of his days seeing the Christ before his maker calls him home. The old cleric smiles down on the child, who looks back up at him. Simeon's hands are pressed together in prayer. The third and only other figure in the painting is draped in shadow as a way of highlighting just how intimate this moment is between Simeon and the Messiah he's holding. The contrast of these two paintings is most certainly a commentary on Rembrandt's own life. At 63, he is less concerned with impressing his audience his humble world has focused in on Christ. The youthful Rembrandt's Simeon, a masterpiece to be sure, puts on full display all the technique and ability he has mastered. If at 25 he can already do this, imagine where he'll be at 35. But old Rembrandt is content to deliver warmth over detail, individuals over a crowd, In simplicity over grandeur. The ornate trappings of the temple are gone and so are the crowds. All we see is an old man and his Lord. Simeon is different in this painting because surely Rembrandt has changed. Growing in maturity with the Lord is a long process of narrowing your gaze on Jesus alone. It's slowly learning to see him. It's learning to expect nothing but his presence in your life. It's finding that he is actually what you need that he is your peace. Father, as we think about Simeon and we think about our own lives, may we remember that Jesus is who matters. May we remember that the invitation before us is to look to him. And I want to pray for those in the room or watching online this morning who have yet to fully see Jesus. They believe they've seen him. They have heard the stories of him. He has had a peripheral role in their lives. But they've never recognized him as their Lord, as their Savior, as the tender master of the universe who came not in power but in weakness so that they might invite him into their heart. And I pray for them, Father, that you would give them faith to believe. And I pray for all of us here who need to see Jesus yet again, even this week, even in the midst of this Advent season. May we narrow our gaze May we have only one expectation that we will see Christ when we look for him. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen.